Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hey, this is Matt Lesher. This is Phil Lamar. Hey, this is Rod Taylor, a.k.a. The Penguin Gotham. You are listening to Geek Vibes Live. So all new episode of Geek Vibes Live. I'm your host, Jawan, and I am joined by my amazing panel. Starting with Nick. What's going on, Nick? What up, dude? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm actually really excited to do this show. More now that I actually and I'm glad I spoke to you and Tia before the show. I looked up the guy Rupert uh Wyatt, who's the third name of uh the guys up for Venom Two. And he actually mm-hmm. has a nice, um, you know, a nice slate of, of movies that he's directed. So I'm glad you guys Excellent. convinced me to put his name in there. But, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Yeah, man, I'm good. Got to see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on Friday. Um, and, uh, you know, anytime I get to go see a new Tarantino movie in theaters, it's not, not, not a lot of experiences like that. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was super fun. Yeah, I don't know of many people that experience um, Tarantino's movies that walk out unhappy. Uh, maybe a bit offended, but definitely not <laughs> unhappy. Um, right. <laughs> so Quentin is uh, his track record is uh, is impeccable. So we uh, it's not hard to believe that you enjoyed yourself in that. Um, we're also joined by Tia, who is still on her high from finishing off the boys. What's going on, Tia? <laughs> Hey, Juwan, how are you? Um, I have to say that the boys might have replaced Doom Patrol for the superhero TV show that I might talk about constantly. <laughs> Which Wait, is crazy. Is Thomas Driver in the boys? <laughs> you would think, right? You would definitely think so. No, I will say, though, he um, his acting style would fit in, like, really good on this show. Um, Season like two, just saying. <laughs> like I would even say this, like as much as like Nick, you know how much I love Carl Urban, um, who's, yeah. who's one of the leads in the show. If Carl Urban like turned down this this role, Pablo Shriver, I think could easily do uh, do this role um, that Carl Urban did. Uh, you know, because just his acting style kind of fits that character. But this show is amazing. Was was definitely amazing. Huge huge shouts out to Seth Rogen. Who apparently oh. apparently should stop doing comedy movies and just start doing more series like Preacher, The Boys. He's on a really good uh, role with these shows, uh, these adaptations from from their comic counterparts. Um, and just huge shout out to him, man. The, the guy is a genius. I don't want to knock the other guy that he did the the show with, because um, obviously it was team effort. But 
Seth is a genius. Like, every time I hear his name, I'm like, there must be, like, another Seth Rogen. And, like, you see the interview, and you're like, oh, no, it's that Seth Rogen. Like, this is crazy. This guy yeah. is, is a freaking genius. It's absolutely mind-boggling because you would never think that he's a comedic genius, but you would never think that he would be behind these great shows. And as you said, he may need to stop doing comedy. And I almost say that maybe DC should give him a call to direct a movie or something. Yeah, I mean, and I'll even say this. If you watch Preacher and you watch The Boys, they're not overly humorous. Like, you know some of those shows, Nick, that might have a showrunner, like from someone from Saturday Night Live, and it's just overly comical. Um, sure. Neither one of those shows are like that. They're very drama-centric. Uh, they're yes. both very dark. Um, and it mm-hmm. just has really good comedic timing. Like, that to me would, is why I think – go ahead. I would liken it to Barry. I don't know if y'all, either one of y'all have seen Barry, but, like, that is very dark and very um, dramatically driven. But it definitely has its moments of, like, um, really good comedic timing. And that's Bill right, Hader, that's, by the way. That's what you would want – that's what you would want to show who is – show run or created or executive produced by a comedian. That's what you would want. I don't need to feel as though this is like a Saturday Night Live sketch or right. one of Seth Rogen's classic comedies. I just want it to feel authentic, and I want it to have comedic timing because you're a, a comedian. So to me, it's like Seth Rogen does a really good job of mixing it uh, to where it doesn't feel too much one thing and a, you know less of another. Um, Preacher, I thought was great. The story kind of dwindled down a little bit, but um, uh, huge shout out to Seth Rogen for the boys. I'm sorry, I'm cutting into your review time, Nick. I apologize. No worries. Uh, I just love the show. Um, we're gonna start the show off uh, actually with a non-spoiler review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nick saw it. Me and Tia have not had the chance to see it, so we will all come back together next weekend for a spoiler breakdown of this movie but nick give us your thoughts on once upon a time in hollywood i fucking loved it it was so fucking awesome um it's uh it's it's interesting because like it is i think as far as the movies that tarantino has done this being his ninth ninth um full-length feature that he has um you know written and directed jackie brown being the only one that he did not um have the original story for that was in, uh, based on an Elmore Leonard novel, um, but uh, but the 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 pacing of the movie is different, I believe, than any other movie that he's done. It's a little jarring when you when you first start out with just just the the, the basic pacing and structure of the movie, um, but as the movie goes along and it really starts to settle in and get to, um, I, I would say um, the Maybe not penultimate, but the 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 definitely the the scenes that really set up where the movie is is eventually going. Um, it, it does a really good job of balancing that. He puts a lot into this movie. I mean, it's it's almost a three hour movie. Definitely didn't feel like that to me. Like just sitting in the theater and watching it, um, like it, it didn't feel a minute over two hours. Um, it, I mean, it really does just suck you in. Um, and you kind of get immersed in, I guess, Tarantino's um, representation or, or version of the late 60s um, and, and 
not just the late 60s, but specifically the late 60s and what that meant for the movie industry and kind of where things were going at that time. Um, there, uh, Obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio is the lead actor in, in the movie, um, plays the character Rick Dalton, um, who's this kind of fading um, old-school Western star. Um, but he was always kind of like a, a B-lister or a C-lister, um, never caught his big break. Um, had a chance to, you know, a couple different times throughout his career to kind of catch a break and, and land a big movie and just never never really did. Um, so he, he had his, um, you know, essentially a, a big hit TV series called Bounty Wall, um, where he was this bounty hunter who, you know, would, would go in various different episodes and and it would be a different bounty that he had to go um, hunt each each episode. Um, and essentially, he ends up, um, you know, kind of wanting to further his career and and not do the show anymore, and and really chase a um, a movie career. And it, it just doesn't end up working out for him. So at the point in which we begin the movie, um, he's basically, you know, faced with these two two different options: either, um, you know, go. Um, you know, keep doing what he's doing, which is basically he he plays the bad guy now on on you know one-off episodes of various other television shows, um, or uh, he's got the opportunity to go shoot um, spaghetti westerns, um, in, you know, in Italy, you know, with with the various Italian um, filmmakers, um, a very popular genre at the time, though short-lived. Um, that's really where the western went, you know, with movies like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, and uh, other movies like that. I think Sergio Leone being the biggest um, of the spaghetti western directors. Um, so, like, that's kind of where his character is. Brad Pitt is his um, stuntman who is kind of turned into just like his caretaker almost. Like he he's he like drives him around and you know fixes stuff up and does like you know handyman stuff around his house and everything. Um, but they're like really good buddies, and then of course you have Margot Robbie, um, who who plays Sharon Tate. Um, all three of the lead actors in this uh, in this movie, and it really is an ensemble. I mean, you follow each of these three different characters um, throughout this movie. Um, uh, by the way, Brad Pitt's character being uh, Cliff, um, I think his last name's Burton, I believe. Uh, definitely Cliff is his first name, um, and. Uh, all of these characters are a fucking delight uh, throughout the movie. Um, Margot Robbie is so fucking good as Sharon Tate. Um, I, I saw um, uh, an interview with Tarantino where he was um, stated as you know when he was trying to pitch Margot Robbie on on taking the role of Sharon Tate that you know he said you um, your character is the heartbeat of this movie, and I really kind of felt that when watching the movie. She does a fucking fantastic job. Um, Leo, of course, is great. He's got um, – and, and furthermore, each of those three actors all have like a a scene that they just steal um, that is just like almost an, like an iconic – maybe not iconic, but – um, it's just like a, a fucking terrific scene that you're just you, – you completely enrapture yourself in. Um, they each have their time to stand out, um, 
and I, I, I thought it was terrific. The biggest standout of the movie is by far Brad Pitt. Um, Brad Pitt is so fucking great in this movie. Um, he definitely kind of brings a little bit of that Aldo Rain, um, uh, you know, kind of swashbuckling persona to this movie, um, which, you know, obviously was uh, his uh, role in Inglorious Bastards. Um, but like with a with a little bit of a twist, and I won't I won't spoil anything. Um, but uh, but there's definitely um, some character flaws um, that they explore uh, within uh, his character within this movie, to put it lightly. Um, but he is so fucking great. Um, just numerous. He, he like really kind of steals every scene that he's involved in, whether it's his scene with uh, Mike Mo, uh, who, who plays. Uh, Bruce Lee, obviously, um, or you know, he, he has um, probably I would say three more um, kind of iconic scenes, and I don't want to um, I don't want to go too deep into what those scenes are because that would be reaching spoiler territory. Um, but he is so fucking good. Um, I looked it up. He has never won an Oscar for an acting performance. He did win uh, a Oscar for uh, being a producer on um i believe the big short um so he was a producer of that movie so he he won an oscar um for that movie but he's never won an oscar for an acting performance i really fucking hope at the very least he needs to be nominated for this role because he is so fucking good at it um definitely the 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 big uh uh kind of show stealer i think a best supporting actor nomination is, is is definitely warranted here um and then just all the other little characters that fill out the movie, they're, they're just all, like, really great. Uh, there's, a, there's a very uh, young actress um, who uh, y'all will probably remember from the trailer when she whispers into Leonardo's uh, ear, like, that was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, that, <laughs> that whole scene is fucking great. Um, and what leads up to that scene. Uh, but, like, her character is phenomenal. She like blew me away. It was um, it was definitely like you know just one of those moments where you watch a like a child actor, um, and you're just like wow, like you were you were really good. Like I can't wait to see what you do next. Like, um, but uh, she was phenomenal. Um, but yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was a super super fun watch. I can't wait to see it again. I'm definitely gonna see it again at least one more time in theaters just to kind of like feel out where it where it would kind of rank in my my tarantino movies rankings um i i definitely feel like it's borderline top four or five um wouldn't quite uh eclipse pulp fiction django or inglorious bastards for me like i definitely would have it below that but i think anything after that it's fair game that it could match up against um, just for me personally. Uh, but yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. If you love Tarantino movies, um, I highly recommend it. Um, if you're not like the biggest fan of Tarantino, this probably is, is one of the movies that is maybe a little less accessible. Um, just because of like, you know, what I said, it's, it's got kind of some weird pacing issues. The story is, is a little muddled, um, which I don't mind, and I don't even know if muddled is the right word, but like y'all know, my favorite movie of all time is The Big Lebowski, and that movie is, is not it, – it, it doesn't um, it doesn't get its merit as my favorite movie based 
simply off this story. It's all of the other little parts within the story, which is um, kind of takes a backseat to everything else. This movie is that same way in, in that regard. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would highly recommend it um, for for just kind of most people, um, specifically Tarantino fans. Um, the only people that I would say probably not going to be your thing is just people who don't like Tarantino's brand of filmmaking. So you definitely get that. But um, but yeah, can't can't speak highly of it uh, enough. Fucking loved it. Yeah, and it actually <clears throat> excuse me, I had to make sure I wasn't on mute. It actually earned forty point four million this weekend. Is now it is now the biggest opening ever for Quentin Tarantino. Nice. Um, so I mean that is saying a lot. It is still in the wake of um, Lion King, uh, which right. He's got a lot of competition is, out there. Right, which Lion King still is number one. So it did not take number one. Um, yeah. But that's that's not a knock at all. I I say that to say to still garnish forty million um, when all the hype is around Lion King is very very uh, good. Um, and the fact that it's his biggest is shocking um, because yeah, that is a little surprising. Be huge. I would have kind of expected Django to to have that mark, but um, yes, but and yeah, never, I believe nevertheless. Django. I believe Django came out in a time where it didn't have huge competition like this does right now. Um, well, so if, I, if I'm not mistaken, time. Django came out around Christmas, um, so there there was a lot of like. Um, uh, you know your your fair share of like Christmas movies to go see. I think right. I want to say it was Christmas of 2012, somewhere in that range. So I don't I don't really remember yeah. like what the or no 14 maybe it's 2014. Um, but I I don't so I don't I don't really remember what like the the competition around it was. Um, but uh, but obviously any anytime you release a movie in Christmas, there's a lot of different movies that get released at the time. Um, so maybe he just found a nice little window to to sneak this one in, especially given that um, it obviously is so different from, uh, you know, a movie like Lion King. Right. Um, huge congrats to Quentin Tarantino. I've been um, surveying Twitter. A lot of people saying it's, it's an instant classic. A lot of people are also saying it's their favorite Tarantino movie. Um, Interesting. To me, to me, you can't go wrong with any of the Tarantino movies you pick. Um, so to me, that's, I want to say that's high praise, but when all your movies are great, um, right. it's very hard <laughs> to judge. Very few favorite. directors have a, an impeccable record, as you stated, uh, at the intro, um, Juwan, mm-hmm. um, and he's definitely one of them. Like he just doesn't have a bad movie to his name. Like you even think of some of the greatest directors of all time, whether it's like Spielberg or Scorsese or, you know, like they have those, those like red marks, um, you know, red in their ledger, if you will, um, mm-hmm. with, 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 you know, the occasional flop. Tarantino just doesn't have that. The only person that I can really think of um, off the top of my head who also, in my opinion, doesn't have that is Denny Villeneuve, uh, but obviously with much fewer movies under his belt. Right. I did want to tell you, Nick, because I know we didn't speak about it because I saw this news myself maybe sometime last week. Um, but apparently, if Quentin does move forward with this Star Trek movie, Tia, yeah, you can mm-hmm. come in, in this conversation also. Um, if he does go forward with it, apparently 
it's in Pine's world. So Pine would be right. his lead, um, but they're ignoring Khan. So, like, everything that happened, I'm assuming from Khan on, I guess just, you know, if he does decide to direct it, will no longer be canon of those movies. Interesting. Um, there was, so I – go ahead, T. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say it was actually, like, hilarious because it seems like Quentin Tarantino isn't even, like, that much of a Benedict Cumberbatch fan because in that interview right. he was like, yeah, whatever that guy's name is. He was like, that's not right. fucking Khan. So, but he had yeah. very high praise for Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, and he said that that was kind of his inspiration for even wanting to do a Star Trek movie in the first place. Yeah, Quinn is one of those guys that seemingly is like um, is very picky with his taste of movies he enjoys, actors he enjoys, and I hold him in such high regard. It makes me feel weird whenever it seems like he doesn't, like he isn't that blown away by an actor that I might be blown away by. Because then I'm like, do I have to check my taste? Like, maybe my taste is off. <laughs> like, why do I like someone that Quentin doesn't like? And Quentin's the genius. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I did think it was, it was interesting that he does not want to wipe away Abrams' universe. He wants to keep it, but kind of is telling Abrams, like, hey, this is what you did wrong. Get rid of it. I'm going to come in. Seemingly right after the first movie, <laughs> it's seemingly what he wants to do, and then just direct from there. Um, but the reason I brought it up, Nick, was for me to say that, to me, this would be his more riskier um, project if he does choose to take it, only because sure. of how how Quentin directs movies and the style of how he directs it, I just would never imagine would fit Star Trek. So what I don't want for Quentin is for him to go so left, all the fan base from Star Trek is, is steady and in, in, in setting their ways and in, in being over on the right. Um, because that could seemingly hurt your box office market. And what I don't want is for Quentin's last movie to not be one of his more huge box office success. Um, um, can I, go ahead, Thea. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't need to interrupt for a second. No, but go ahead. He did. He did say in an interview that the Star Trek movie would be his quote-unquote loophole and would not constitute as his last film. He would not count that, count that within his ten movies. So it would be the nine that he's done already, Star Trek almost as a separate entity, and then he'd have a tenth movie. So you could say Once Upon a Time is 9A, Star Trek is 9B, and then he'll do a tenth movie. That's, That's actually, idea. yeah. I like that. I hope Quentin finds more loopholes so he continues to direct because I don't think the three of us are ready to face the day when we sit in the theater knowing that it's his 10th and final film and that we may never see him direct a movie again. So hopefully he finds more loopholes. Kevin Feige, if you want to sit down with him, find a way for him to loophole him into a Deadpool movie. I'm just saying a Deadpool movie. Quentin Tarantino, I wouldn't hate it. I would love it. Just saying. Um, but all right, let's uh, – Okay. Let's you, move, Deadpool right. would – that's – well, let me comment on this before you move yeah. on. Um, I, I, I've been sitting here. Um, as far as a Deadpool movie, I that is maybe the one property I could see. I'd rather him do like – like give him like a Moon Knight movie or something like that. Like that just takes place 
um, totally separate. I don't I don't see him getting involved with Disney. He has not had very good things to say about Disney. He doesn't like um, he doesn't like their practices on monopolizing uh, studio uh, not studios uh, theaters and you know insisting that their movies get played X amount of times and all that. He's had a lot to say about that. So I don't see him working with Disney. Um, but uh, if if you were to propose something, that that would definitely um, Deadpool would would be kind of in the vein that you would want to go with. Um, as as far as the Star Trek movie, um, I I'm totally cool with him. I, I mean, he can do whatever he wants to do. I I think um, I I think he I, as far as like how I think Star Trek fans would react to him doing a movie. Um, I, I, he's a huge fucking fan of Star Trek. Um, I don't look at Abrams. Abrams isn't really like a big Star Trek guy. He's a Star Wars guy who made Star Trek into a Star Wars movie when he, you know, rebooted it. Um, that like he did it well. I think he did it in the way that you can like um, in the best way that you could possibly like maximize the amount of money that you're going to make on a Star Trek movie. Um, but like I I I think. From what I've heard, the third Star Trek movie was actually more Star Trek-y than any of the other two because um, yeah. uh, Simon um, – uh, what's his name? Peg hey. uh, is actually like a big Star Trek fan, um, so he kind of made that more of a Star Trek movie, and we saw what it got him. It was like a big flop or, or an arguable flop. So like I think Tarantino would be able to combine essentially his wit and everything um, and his, his style – and in, in, envelop that into a movie that would still be more of a Star Trek movie than the you know two J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, um, and I think that would be uh, I think that would be a, a a healthy compromise. And actually, I think Star Trek fans would like it. I think mass audiences maybe would not like it as much, but um, you know I, I, we just have to see. But I I would imagine that it would make um, it, it would definitely make a good bit of money, um, and that he would be able to to do it justice. Um, I've always wanted to see him do a sci-fi movie. Um, that's always kind of been on my list of things because he's kind of done most everything else. If you consider Death Proof both a um, stalker horror-ish kind of movie turned into a um, revenge flick. Because um, it's kind of got both of those aspects um, to it, um, so I mean, if you if you put put that moniker on that movie, the big thing that he hasn't done is sci-fi. Um, so I I would really like to see him do this, and if it's got the caveat that this won't be his his tenth movie, um, then I'm all for that. I hope he also finds the loophole with uh, moving forward with the Kill Bill three, which we've heard recent. Uh, uh, well, we've heard murmurs about uh, for a while, but it, it picked up a little more steam recently. Um, like, could that also be like a loophole movie? Maybe. Like, maybe he's just got a movie in mind that he wants to do to be his last movie, and he could say, "Well, I'm going to do the Star Trek movie, and uh, you know, like Uma really wants to come back and do Kill Bill three, so we're going to do that too." But it's technically my last movie is going to be this one. Um, like, yeah, let's let's. I think we're all for that. Yeah, I'm not against it, but I, I'm not one of the people that wants to kill Bill 3. I, I, one thing I've always loved about Quentin is that he'll make a masterpiece, and then that will be it. Um, I seemingly, until like the last, what, 
two minutes of the first Kill Bill, um, seemingly was feeling like this is perfect. Like, this is how you leave it. Uh, but then, obviously, you get to the, you know, the end of it. To, I think um, they get to a trunk or something like that, and that's when you find out, like, her daughter's still alive. Um, right. And then it was like, okay, all right, Kill Bill 2. I saw Kill Bill 2. Freaking loved it. Um, I don't know if I want a third one because it's kind of just like that was that that should be it. Leave, leave that alone. Um, you know, like Django shouldn't get a sequel. Like leave all those classics alone. Give us something new. Push, you know, push movies forward. Give us something else. Like you said, like he's never he's never really done like um, a sci-fi movie. So it's like doing Star Trek. Push that forward. Um, I would like his tenth movie to be something we've never seen, something that might even kind of not even really feel like a Tarantino movie. Um, just something we, we, we would never expect. That's why I assume Star Trek would be where he ends it, because it was like this is the one thing. I don't think any of us would have ever thought he would have done, um, obviously, until he spoke it into existence. But, um, but yeah, I mean, one, one thing I always wanted to see Quentin do, if he ever did want to do, like, a um, comic book movie, was Jonah Hex, because I think that was right, that is right in his wheelhouse. Um, and he could make Jonah Hex a super cool character um, yeah. for people to kind of dive into. Um, and I think he could make that world freaking amazing. Um, so Very Jonah true. Hex is always my pick for, uh, for Quentin Tarantino. Um, but who knows? Maybe, you know, joins up with, with um, Warner Brothers and does something, but probably sure. not likely. Could be. Um, probably but, not. <laughs> probably not likely, but um, all right. Let's um, let's move on. We got some trailers to talk about. Trailers we did not get to last week because Marvel blew our minds. Um, I still can talk about Marvel right now. We could just take the next 90 minutes and, and continue just talking about Marvel, but <laughs> oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I would actually love to do that, but let's not make people think we're more of a Marvel head uh, than we actually are. Uh, let's talk some trailers. Still let's waiting on that check, with... Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, do you remember when we first started and people uh, people kept saying that to us, like we were yes. Marvel defenders and like Marvel was paying us off. They were paying to us to say yeah. these good things. Yeah. People they are crazy. Still, they still say that on Twitter. I mean, there's so many times, like, if we post anything, anything, it doesn't even matter what it's related. People automatically start getting, like, crazy defensive. Kanan is always messaging me. He's like, are you seeing the comments right now? And I'm like, <laughs> I know. It's, it's so yeah, funny because Kanan is, like, the biggest defender of the DC uh, cinematic universe. Like, he is, he is the quintessential, like, um, I guess pragmatic defender of that uh, of those movies. Um, yeah, it's just like eventually, like the the DC fanboy types even get on his nerves to a certain degree because he's like, all right, well, come on now, Marvel's not fucking paying us, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it, I I used to think it was funny when they told us that because I was like, I I didn't grow up on Marvel. Like, my stepdad raised me on, on Batman. That's why Batman is all I talk about. So it's like when you say, <laughs> oh, Marvel's paying you, I'm like, well, I wouldn't turn down the check, but I would definitely be more willing to have Warner Brothers pay me to defend Batman all day than to defend Marvel. <laughs> but, you know, sure, whatever. 
Um, but anyway, <laughs> let's get into uh, some of these trailers. I want to start with the trailer that a lot of people enjoyed that I still am not a fan of. I wasn't a fan of the first one. I might have said I was, but I've seen the, the trailer since then. Um, let's start with Jim and I, man. Um, I am not high on this movie. I think the what Ang Lee, I believe is the director's name, is what he's trying to do with the facial, uh, you know, the facial work, trying to make him look younger and stuff like that. It just didn't look right to me. And in the second trailer, I thought it looked worse. Um, I don't, I don't like it. Uh, I kind of feel like this is not going to be a um, a well-reviewed Will Smith movie. And I don't think it'll be because of Will Smith's bad acting. I just don't see – the movie does not look good to me. Um, I thought what they did with Stark in Civil War looked better than Gemini Man. Um, I, just, I, I don't know what it is. I, I just – I'm not really a fan of this movie, so let me pass it before I just keep – floundering here, but uh, Nick, I'll start with you. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Gemini Man, and am I way out of control with who is my take, or, uh, or do you kind of see where I'm at? Yeah, I won't say way out of control. Um, I didn't mind the like the, young, the younger uh, version of him in the trailer. I thought it looked fine. Um, just uh, on, on the essence alone, I'm not super intrigued by the story, like it's got a good cast. I mean, if you're if you're like Will Smith and Clive Owen, like both actors that I I genuinely love. Um, to me, this kind of feels like it could go one of two ways. It could either go the iRobot way, where it's like this movie doesn't really look all that good, but then it turns out to be like really good, and you're like, damn, that was fucking, that was actually really good. Like I can't believe. I waited like four or five years to fucking watch this movie. It was very enjoyable. Um, or it could go the like After Earth like way where you're like, God, that was fucking horrible. I can't believe I just like sat down and and devoted two hours of my life to this piece of shit movie. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Usually, even like even when I I'm not like super hyped on a Will Smith movie. It usually lends more towards the the latter or, or excuse me, the former as far as being like a movie that doesn't look all that great but like Will Smith just does really well with kind of outside the box movies whether it's um I Robot or I Am Legend and you know there's a couple others that you could probably throw in that mix. Um so I, my guess if if I if I had to um, if if I had to calculate it, I'm I'm gonna say it'll probably be a decent movie. It'll probably have a a, a reasonably good box office return. Um, but that I'm not super high on it at all. There's nothing in this that makes me think, um, wow, I gotta go see this movie. Um, so it, it's just gonna be a question as to whether it's a movie that when I do finally watch, am I like, damn, I probably should have gone and seen that in theaters. Or if it's a movie that I eventually watch, it'd be like, yeah, probably made the right decision. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two things, and now I'm going to pass it over to you, Tia. One, um, I thought the best thing of the trailer was the fact that Will Smith talked um, the studio. Well, let me not say that. I, I, I'm joking here when I say this, everyone. But the song playing in the background was his son's song. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Jaden's music. 
Um, so that that was like the best <laughs> thing to me out of the entire trailer because I'm a huge James Smith uh, fan. I'm a huge fan of his music. Um, and then two, to your point, Nick, I remember in in this we we talked this you know at a crazy extent, but I always tell you how important marketing is. Marketing is why Live Die Repeat needed. Uh, Live Die Repeat was well reviewed in DVDs and not in the theater. Um, because you didn't right. do a good enough job marketing. This movie and it was, was such very, a great fucking movie. Such a great movie. I can't wait for the sequel. That was a really good movie that I regret yeah. I did not see in theaters, but marketing was bad. Gemini yes. Man very likely could be that, but the only difference to me personally is when I saw Live, Die, Repeat, when I saw that trailer, I was just like, well, this is another one of those Tom Cruise action kind of movies, like, I, right. I don't really need to see this. Exactly. This movie just kind of feels like it doesn't look good. Like, it doesn't fit <laughs> the stereotype of Will Smith. It just doesn't look good to me. I'm a huge Clive Owen fan. Nick, I've said this at an extreme rate. I thought um, the movie Joel always condemns me for saying I, I, I love that Clive Owen did with Paul Giamatti. Shoot him up. Love that movie. Yeah. Fucking Swear great. I love that fucking I movie. I love that movie. Joel always so tells good. me how horrible that movie is. It's um, fucking fantastic. It is, it is in my, my action movie list. It, it is in my top yes. 20. Um, it's just a sure. very, sure. very well done silly action movie with all Absolutely. of the tropes and plots. Like it, it, to me, that is a movie that is like very much on the level of Crank, and I would give it like a, just a slight edge. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, Paul Giamatti was at his height in that movie. Yeah, I love Paul movie. Giamatti. Um, but yeah, this just Gemini Man just does not seem like it, it, it's going to be a good movie. What I may do is wait and see if someone I know, like not someone I respect as a reporter, just someone I know that goes and sees it, like, hey, how was it? Like, was the pacing good? Was the story good? And if they're like, yeah, then I think I would go check it out. But if not, I don't think I'll regret missing this in theaters the same way I, I regret not seeing Live, Die, Repeat. Uh, that is one of my biggest. That and Into the Spider-Verse are the two biggest things I didn't see in theaters oh, that I think I'll always regret. Um, yeah, Into the Spider-Verse yeah. is fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm so bummed I did not see that in theaters. What a way. And especially to see that me. on the big screen with all the fucking yeah. – like colors and 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 the visual effects that they pull off in that movie is fucking amazing. And to have experienced that with a bunch of fans that are all Spider-Man fans, right? Uh, you know, just experiencing superhero movies is something I always love. That's why I tell yeah. people go see it in theaters because if you don't know what's going on, just experiencing everyone else that does know what's going on is well worth it. Um, yeah. But Tia, I'm gonna go to you. What were your thoughts on Gemini Man? Um, I ask you the same thing I asked Nick. Am I am I am I out of control with my take on this, or were you intrigued by any any uh any of that trailer? I wasn't really intrigued by the trailer at all. I had pretty much zero interest after the first trailer, and I feel like the second one didn't really do anything to pique my interest. I think it it is funny that Nick said um iRobot, because I did get a little bit of that feeling almost with this movie, um, which is just hilarious because, you know, Will Smith was in both of them, but 
it's not really just the the aging and how that's kind of throwing me off, which is so strange because I always say this. We live in a world where CGI is really good, and then you have these movies that look like they have the budget from maybe 30 years ago for CGI. So I just don't understand it, especially when you have such a big name like Will Smith. But I don't know. There, maybe once it comes, you know, out of theaters and maybe I can rent it or it goes on Netflix or something, I'll take a look at it. But I really do not see myself heading to the movie theater for this movie. I mean, but in general, I guess that really shouldn't say much because I really don't go to the movie theater for anything other than superhero movies. Because to me, I'm, I feel like I could just wait till they come you know, home to see them, but especially this movie, I just don't think I'd pay the money to go see it. Yeah, it's funny because to me, when I see movies, to me, the biggest thing about a movie is the experience. Like, I, I like to experience things. So horror movies, as much as I would prefer to see it by myself, so, like, people don't hear me screaming like a little girl, uh, <laughs> I like to experience it where, like, something super crazy happens, everyone's gasping. Like, I like to experience that. With an action movie, I like to experience that with people. Um, so, to me, it's like, I like to see these different kind of movies with people. This kind of seems like a movie that I could walk into on, like, a Saturday afternoon where you would think a movie theater would be filled, and there's, like, four old people in it because, like, no one really is going to go see this movie. Um, so to me, I mean, I, I don't know. I'd say the best case scenario for this movie is that it, it either does financially what iRobot did or story-wise it's as good as iRobot um, is because what I've learned from I Am Legend to now, Will Smith's track record is very hit or miss. Um, the one he did with Margot Robbie I thought was, was a classic Will Smith movie. Everything after that was kind of just like, I can take it or leave it. I've been leaving it more so than taking it. Um, so, I mean, this could be another one of the Will Smith movies that doesn't really land. And it'll suck, but Will Smith's going to have to reevaluate what his, his niche is and then stick to that, get one really good movie out there, get people to have that faith again in, like, good Will Smith movies. And then, you know, once you get that back up, you want to do a couple more Gemini Mans or whatever other stupid movies he did, then sure. But if, if I'm Will Smith's agent, I'm telling him, like, if this movie does not hit, you got to take a step back, like a, a huge step back, man, and reevaluate what kind of movies you want to do. Pick a director that maybe you're really comfortable with. Go do something super dope with that director get yourself a hit, and then kind of just refine yourself as an actor, which sounds stupid from, from me because it's Will Smith, but he has had a lot of misses in the past five, six years. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, doesn't it feel like this would be kind of the quintessential follow-up to Bright and, and just be like a Netflix thing where like Netflix paid a obscene amount of money to like get a Will Smith movie on their on their platform and like this like that way you wouldn't have the danger of like having it like known how much of a flop your movie is um right. I don't know it seems that seems like it would have been a probably a smarter decision 
than to take this to theaters, just in my opinion. No, I don't disagree with you at all. I am one of those people who did enjoy Bright. I did not think Bright was horrible. I did not think it was the worst thing he's ever done. After Earth exists, Wild Wild West exists. Right. I don't think it was the worst thing ever. Um, I am looking forward to the follow-up season of, of Bright. Uh, or not season. It was a movie, right? It was a movie. The, right. the sequel to Bright. Yeah. I apologize. Um, but Yeah, yeah but it, it seems looks- to me like instead of doing a sequel to Bright, you could have just had like – Three like sign Will Smith to do like three Netflix movies, or maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't know how exactly that works. They they probably don't sign the actor. They probably buy the movie um, most of the time. But nevertheless, um, my point being like instead of doing like Bright Two, um, maybe just do Bright and then do Jim Gemini Man and then whatever other weird next thing that Will Smith wants to do. It seems like it seems like the Netflix platform would be better suited for that kind of movie than the actual like trying to test it in theaters yeah i mean will smith is is at this weird place to where i kind of think like he says yes to things he thinks is um forward moving uh progressive and it's kind of just like that's that's okay if you're samuel jackson like you can just say yes to things because you're samuel jackson right I think Will Smith's name has taken a hit in the past five to six years with all the bad movies um, that he's had his name attached to. And again, being in a bad movie does not mean your performance was bad. Um, It just means the movie overall was bad. He probably shouldn't have said yes to it. So if I was Will Smith, like I said, I would find a director I'm very comfortable with. Um, That could be a smaller director. That could be a huge name director. And get yourself a hit. Um, it's the same thing as you would yeah, tell like, a musician. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Right. Well, like, yeah, like, hook him up with, like, Taylor Sheridan, the guy who wrote, like, Sicario and mm-hmm. Wind River and Hell or High Water. Like, put him in, like, a movie like that, you know, where it's just a fucking really well-developed script. Um, it, you know, it's a, it's a like, kind of um, crime drama action movie type thing um like i think something like that that was you know borderline low budget except for what you're paying will smith um i think that is kind of where i I could see if i was his agent i'd be like dude let me get taylor sheridan on the line and see what his next fucking movie is because like this motherfucker can write a screenplay like let's get you in on one of those instead of this weird more weird like outlandish shit yeah, and last thing I'll say, and we'll, we'll <clears throat> excuse me, we'll move on. Is Will Smith also, if I'm tracing back his last four or five movies, also has to start looking at the cast that he's signing on to. Sign on to bigger, better cast. Like find the movies that have these these actors that are big right now that you could fit yourself into. Um, that's what Jamie's doing. Samuel Jackson doesn't need to do it because. Every year I see on DirecTV, there's a straight-to-DirecTV movie Samuel Jackson did because it's Samuel <laughs> Jackson. Yeah, if you're Will Smith, Yeah, he gets an infinite pass. Oh, 100%. 100%. Him and uh, Christopher Walken was the other guy who fit that moniker for a while. Oh, 100%. Uh, Christopher Walken, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but no, if you're Will Smith, find projects that have a better ensemble than the ones you've been signing on to. Because that helps a lot also. Um, just it's, it, Whoever his agent is, you got to do better by Will Smith. 
There is yeah. no reason why in year 30 of Will Smith's acting career or whatever, uh, however long you would say it, it, it has been, um, he has not had a Oscar-nominated film. Um, from And I'm not talking about in his career. I'm talking about since I Am Legend to now has not had a Oscar-nominated film. Um, Concussion, I guess you could count. Um, but that movie went so under the radar. I don't really think anyone really talked about that movie. You just got to get him nominated for an Oscar. It might have so. been. I don't think it was, but it might. That my point is that movie would have been what you would have assumed in the past ten years would have been the one that right. was nominated. Um, yeah, I mean, find I find him better project. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think because I believe he was in Six Degrees of Separation. I know that was nominated. Um, but that was really early in his career, like one of the very right. first movies he did, if not the first movie he did. Um, but yeah, it, like when you really break it <clears throat> break it down and think about it, I don't, I can't really recall like a, a movie that he's done that has been like of that caliber, even if it's been a good movie, not an Oscar buzz movie. Um, and it's just like you look at other people of his stature, and they're in Oscar Oscar type movies all the time. Um, you know, cause I mean, I, I look at Will Smith and I say like, he's, he's like got, you know, the quote unquote marketability of like a person like say the rock, but he's like got like way better opportunity to be in like real Oscar fucking type movies. Um, right. it's like for whatever reason, he, he just doesn't pick the movies that end up being that What was the one that came out like two years ago maybe where he's like sitting on the bench and there's like all these people that come by and visit him or something. And then it turns yeah, out to be like I a big charade or something. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know what remember what about. it's called. It had a good a cast. Fucking, like it had a great cast, but it was a terrible fucking movie. <laughs> like, right. um, like no one liked it. Um, and it's like, man, like why, like, why are you picking that? I guess seven pounds would be the one that I don't think that was nominated for an Oscar, but that was actually a good movie. Like that was a yeah. good choice for him to make um that that had oscar potential but it's like he he it, no i mean he he hasn't really been in a lot of those yeah i mean even if even if you have to um what i would suggest is is hulu amazon prime disney plus uh warner brothers new um uh streaming service one of these streaming service has something like the boys or something like um like that kind of project if I'm Will Smith, I'm trying to get with somebody who wants to take a comic book and adapt it, maybe not something from Marvel or DC, um, but something out there that hasn't been developed yet, um, and, and put my name on something like that, just to kind of get people who are in this in this time and age who are into stuff like that, put your name on something like that. Like, you would think Deadshot would have done it for them, and it kind of didn't. It, it didn't launch them further. It kind of knocked them down more. So it's like find something like that that you could put your name on that people will watch because it's Will Smith and is actually good. Um, yeah. So, huge shout out to his agent who's getting checks for literally doing no good for, for Will Smith. But um, <laughs> all right, let's, um, let's move on. Let's talk a movie that apparently is being rumored to be as long or almost as long as possibly Avengers Endgame. And that's it, Chapter 2. Um, hearing this news that this movie is going to be pretty long, 
was weird for me. I don't know if I ever want a horror movie to be outside an hour and maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, and I'm only saying that because I'm terrified. Like, I'm a scaredy cat. So I don't want to sit there for almost uh, two and a half hours just being scared to death. Like, no, I'll leave. Um, so I don't ever need horror movies to be that long. Um, but this looks really, really, really good. We got a, another trailer, our last trailer. Um, because it comes out, I believe, in September, um, first week of September, actually. So we got, excuse me, our last trailer at San Diego Comic-Con. Looks super scary. I'll say it again, Skarsgård, if he is not our Joker in Robert Pattinson's um, world, huge shout-out to Will Gray, who um, put the edit together of those two standing side to side. I just need him as the Joker. I don't know what else he has to do to prove to you how weird he is and how perfect he would be for the Joker. Um, but he looked terrifying in this movie. And what's crazier is he didn't even really do anything in this trailer that's just extremely different than the first movie, but he's just creepier. Like the big, the big tongue, I, I, just something about Skarsgård that he does a really good job at being super creepy. Um, but Nick, I'm going to go to you first. Um, your thoughts on it chapter two and how long, are you a fan of horror movies being like, are you okay with horror movies being close to the same time is, is something like Endgame, or are you looking for your horror movies to be a little short? It just depends for this kind of horror movie. No. Um, like if it's like, uh, it's like the shining, like, yeah, that movie can go on as long as it wants to. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean for this, this kind of like, um, more popcorn horror movie. I think like like you said, like ninety minutes to like maybe maybe like a hundred and ten, hundred and twenty minutes. So like somewhere in that range seems to make the most sense. Like half hour and a half to two hours. Um but uh but yeah, I mean it, it, it if that's what it takes to like tell the story then I I mean I'm cool with it. I mean I'd rather them um not cut corners to like you know, and have to edit down things. Um, but I feel like you probably, there are probably things that you could cut to get it down to at least two and a half hours. I feel like even, even that's long. I, cause I think I read it was two hours and 45 minutes. That's what they were projecting it right now. That's really fucking long. Um, but you know, um, as far as the trailer, uh, it was good. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it as much as the first trailer. Um, I thought the first trailer was fucking phenomenal, the way that it um, really kind of pieced together this one scene um, and had, like, little, like, tidbits of other stuff. But that fucking scene with Jessica Chastain and that fucking old lady, that was terrifying. Um, Like, that really, like, kind of set the mood for me um, that I was like, okay, like, this looks really intriguing. Um, This one just kind of seemed like more your generic horror movie trailer with like, you know, a, a few different scenes. There was maybe that one kind of extended scene with McAvoy in the, um, uh, in that mirror, um, realm or whatever the fuck that was. Um, you know, where he, I, I think he was like seeing himself as a child, um, and it coming after him. Um, so like that very much fucking with his head. Um, like that, that kind of seemed intriguing. Um, but the cast is phenomenal. Like the cast is just 
like every, the, the the fact that they got like a a name for and not just a name but like a name plus like talent for every one of these specific roles um was great i did also like the way that they kind of um chopped it up to where they showed the kid version and then the adult version so you're it's kind of imprinting in your brain the connection like so you're not wondering wait who is this again um like you're getting to see that in the trailer um so i think that was pretty smart um and yeah overall like i'm i'm pretty excited uh for this i was um like pleasantly surprised with the first it like i didn't think i was going going to really enjoy it that much um and i did kind of thoroughly enjoy it um so you know i i am intrigued to to see kind of what they do um with the second half of the movie um or of the story rather and uh i think it, it was a fine trailer it was just not um not like it just it, it didn't it didn't affect me the way the first one did i guess no i i completely understand that this to me is something that should focus on showing very little um i think the first one was such a hit that you have people ready to see what the second one offers. So the less you show, um, I personally think it's the better. Whenever you have a hit, um, a hit first movie, uh, to me is marketing one-on-one. You shouldn't have to show much for the second one because if it was a hit, it means you've garnished people's interest enough to, to want to see what you do with the second one. So I would, I would stick to doing one trailer and then like maybe TV spots. Um, here and there, obviously, we know how movie studios work. There's no way anyone's ever going to do that. Um, but to me, I kind of just feel like the more you show, the more I kind of feel like it takes away from it. Because um, I think as a moviegoer, the worst thing to do, um, and I was talking to Kanan about this, about the Hobbs and Shaw, the worst thing to do is to show a lot in your trailers. So when I sit down, I'm like, all right, I know what's, what's, what's coming because I saw this part in the trailer and I saw that part in the TV spot. So it's like the less you show, the more the the experience can be better because I don't know what to expect. I'm coming in completely blind. Um, and that's why you have a lot of people that just choose not to watch trailers because a lot of times they just show too much. Um, excuse me. But to me, I, I think this is something that's going to be a lot of fun. It should end after this. I'm really curious to see what Andy, uh, the director, does after it is done. Um, no pun intended. Um, because to me, I want to know that he's not a one-trick pony. I want to know that he could leave something like the It franchise, go over to The Flash, and make that a hit also. Um, so I'm really curious to see what his next project is after this comes out and he can kind of move past this and start working on something else. Um, would be really curious to see that. Um, Tia, what were your thoughts on It Chapter 2's final trailer? And are you like me and Nick? Would you prefer a movie like this to be shorter? Um, or are you completely game for trying to be almost as long as Endgame, which was super long? <laughs> <laughs> um, before I get into that, I had this thought when you mentioned earlier about Bill Skarsgård potentially being the Joker to Robert Pattinson's Batman. I just want to challenge people and realize that there is another Skarsgård brother out there called Gustav Skarsgård, 
who is absolutely amazing as Floki on Vikings. He has not really made his name in America yet. I thought he was going to do it in Westworld season two and just has not, mm. but, he's, but he's 38 years old. And I think that he would be able to really capture what the Joker is. I love Bill, but I think that he could do some other sort of uh, uh, villain in the Batman universe, such as maybe the Riddler or something. But I would challenge people to uh, push aside Alexander and Bill Skarsgård and find out more about their middle brother, Gustav Skarsgård, because he is seriously talented and just has not broken out the way the other two have in America. But uh, just 100% agree. Just fucking, <laughs> like, he is so fucking great as Loki in that fucking show. Like, oh my, yeah. I haven't watched Vikings in a little while now. Like, I think I left off on, like, season three somewhere. Um, but, like, yeah, he is fucking fantastic. Uh, in fact, when they announced that Bill Skarsgård was going to be playing it, I thought it was him. Like, I thought it was that. Because I was like, well, that's not Alexander. I didn't realize there was fucking three of them. Um, but, like, I was, like, super excited. And then I was like, wait, that's not that's not the, that's not Loki. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, he is fucking fantastic. I, I really hope to see him in more stuff. I will um, say, Thea, go ahead. I was going to say, technically, there's four. They have a younger brother who right. does, like, who does like Twitch streaming and shit like that. So yeah, uh, huge and then family. of course they're selling the the, yeah. the paterfamilia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I will say to your point, I have seen a little bit of Vikings. Uh, I will say to your point, I don't necessarily disagree with it. The reason why I want Bill to be Joker is because the one thing we've never seen portrayed in a um a Batman movie with Joker. I want Joker to kind of be out there a bit. I want him to be someone that just exudes being crazy. Um, I think we've had Jack Nicholson's Joker, who was the most accurate comic book version of Joker. We had Heath that was more anarchy. We had Jared Leto's, who was more common, uh, modern-day mobster. Um, I want someone who's just wacky, who's just crazy. Um, And and I I think think Gustav could do that. Honestly, I do like, too. Gustav can better do than that. Hmm? Yeah, better than Bill, you're saying? I think so. I think that Gustav has the look more and could do that crazy, insane, because I know that you said you watched a little bit of Vikings, but he really can do, like, he has this giggle to him. He has his mannerisms yeah. that he can do. Um Bill is great, like Hemlock Grove, the It, um, everything that he's been in. But as far as like that real insanity, kind of very flamboyant, almost like out there type of acting, I really feel like Gustav could really pull that off. I one thing I did lock and step there with you, Tia. One thing <laughs> I did. <laughs> one thing I did want Bill to do. Um, when they first mentioned that they were doing a Loki series and that they were going for a younger Loki, um, I don't really know the age of, of Tom Hiddleston and, and Bill Skarsgård, but I was thinking, like, how dope would it be if, like, it was, like, an alternate version of Loki, and that's what they were doing the show off mm-hmm. of, and Bill Skarsgård was Loki. I think he'd be a phenomenal freaking Loki, um, and that's what I was kind of hoping they were going to do was going for a younger, even though I don't know the age of the two, 
Um, I think he could do that really well. But if you guys are saying this other Scars guard um, could do a great job as Joker, as long as it's someone in that family. We need to have a family of clowns. Um, one was Tarzan, <laughs> two of them were clowns. I'm fine with it. Just one of them. Um, I respect you guys' opinion a lot. So if you're telling me that the other brother can do it, I'm 100% okay with it. Um, I would just say one thing. Um, the aesthetics of Bill, I want the next Joker to be very thin. Um, and, yeah. and Bill fits that. So if his brother can fit that thin also, I'm 100% okay. I have no issues with it. Sign me up. I side with you guys. But um, I, I'm sorry, T. <laughs> yeah, they're all pretty here. lanky. I think yeah. Alexander is, like, the bulkiest as far as, like, muscle, but the rest of them are all pretty lanky. And oh, they're perfect. all, like... That's, that's what I want. And they're, and they're all, like, six foot five. Like, Bill doesn't look like he's that tall, but he is. He's, like, six foot four, six foot five. He's absolutely massive. But Bill is wildly talented. It's hilarious. We, um, this morning, did a top ten on, like, horror movies and stuff like that, um, and, like, suspense thrillers, and it's... 2017 was on it. Bill is just really great. I love the first movie. And I mean, I can see what you guys are saying with like, say the first trailer was better because it was very suspenseful and didn't reveal a lot. I like the second trailer personally as well. Um, I'm really interested. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but obviously the first movie was rated R, and this is, of course, rated R as well, but for a lot more intense stuff than the first one, there's going to be apparently more blood, more graphic scenes, there's going to be strong sexual content, which, what's that freaking entailing? Um, And as far as the length, I do agree with you guys that normally horror movies don't really need to be that long, but if it's good and you're telling, like, your final story to the point where, you know, because um, I don't think that you need a third one in this, and so maybe with them to avoid the whole doing a third movie, just make the second one a little longer just to finish out the story, then I'm fine with it. I don't mind if movies are long. I was probably one of the only people who really didn't care that Endgame was like three hours long. I was like, good. Well, if it's good and it flows and it's telling everything and doesn't leave shit out, then I want it to be that long. So I have kind of the same mentality with It Chapter 2. Just hopefully it will uh, keep everyone's attention because that's the point with horror movies. You have to keep your viewers' attention throughout that whole entire time. So hopefully it'll do that and there's not any point where we're sitting here thinking that it's dragging at all. Yeah, I, I, I will say to me, if your horror movie is going to be long, Nick, I know you have been very vocal um, about uh, jump scares. Um, to me, if you're doing a horror movie and it's long and it has jump scares, I don't want jump scares to be with the majority of that movie. Let it be the story. Um, have it be a really good story that, that is meaningful enough for it to be um, as long as it is. I still, to this day, believe Endgame did not need to be three hours at all. There was so much of that story that you could have just just taken out. Um, needed more action. It did not need as much story as, as it gave us. I will still say that <laughs> every day. Um, in Chapter 2, if it, like you are saying, Tia, it's giving you all the story because there won't be a third one, so it wants to make sure it gives justice due um, and it ends properly. Sure, that means the story, uh, you know, is 
the story needs it. So I'm fine with that. I just want it to be good. I want it to be this is the, the end. I don't want an It 3. Uh, I don't believe the original had three tellings of it. I think it only had two. No. Um, so keep it like that. Because uh, if you do a third one, that means you're not going from any material. You're completely doing it um, on your own. You're creating the story of it. Not necessary. Not necessary at all. Um, I'll say the same thing about the It Kids that I said about Stranger Things Kids. They're getting way too old now um, to where at, at some point they'll be adults, and then it'll be a, like flashbacks of a younger adults, so now older. It just will get really weird. Don't go there. Let this be the end of it. Um, it was a great run. The first one was a success. This one looks like it could possibly follow in suit. Let that be it. Um, either one of you want to add anything else before we move on? Only that I think the 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 way that Stephen King structured the novel is is more in lockstep with how they did the TV movie, where it has these constant like flashbacks um, from you know it it, it told the story um, of the kids and the adults like simultaneously. Um, and the fact that they decided to break this up and do the kids' story first and then come back and do the adult story, I think that's really smart as far as um, it, 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 as far as adapting this the best way possible um, to a movie um, or to two movies, as it were. Um, and I think that if you watch the original, there's more – there is certainly more time spent on the adults and less time on the kids, even though the kids, the portion of the, the um, original movie is actually like way better. Um, but uh, I think there, it, in that sense, it could be, um, it, it may make sense to have this portion, this, this part two be a little bit longer because they, there is more narrative um that they have to um, really explore, um, whereas the the kids' story is kind of the backseat story to the in the book uh, and in the original TV movie. Um, so that's one reason why I could see this this one um, being a little bit, you know, maybe thirty minutes longer than the first one. Fair enough. I mean, like we're saying, if, if you do it well. Um, then that's fine. It's just it's when it starts to drag that people right. kind of go, yikes. And again, you know, we're gonna move on. But again, that was my biggest issue of Endgame is that I would tell people that if you came in halfway, I kind of feel like there's no point in that movie besides literally that end battle that you could come in at, and you know, if you didn't see the beginning, you're completely confused. I believe at every aspect of that movie, they're constantly telling you what they're doing as they're doing it. So it's not like, oh, man, I missed something super crucial. N- no, they, they're continuously telling you throughout these three hours exactly what's happening as it's happening. So I don't really think if you missed the first 30 minutes, the movie's ruined for you. Um, you so will never I'm, see eye to eye, Juan. You will never see eye to eye. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. See, I've always told you, to me, whenever a movie that is centered around action has a sequel, and seemingly Infinity War was part one, this was the end game was a sequel, it should add for more action. Less story, more action. First one should be your story to set it up. 
Well, no, Kill Bill is purely just a it's story driven. It's story driven. Avengers yeah, but is like a Kill Bill book. Volume Two. Yeah, but Kill Bill. I mean, this is story driven too, and Kill Bill Volume Two didn't have nearly as much action, and it was arguably better than Kill Bill Volume One. Which is which is completely fair to me. I felt like Infinity War had way more action than Endgame, and I'm kind of like. I would have preferred that story in Infinity War and Endgame be where I just see balls off the wall action. Um, and I kind of felt like it was just the last 30 minutes that I got that. That's why I'm like, when a DVD comes out, I'm just re- replaying the last 30 minutes of that movie. The rest of it, you can yeah, I don't know. I, I'm with you on this one. I disagree with you. I mean, I think, I think the story – Definitely, like I think it. I think you're right in the sense that it was slow to get started, but I think it almost kind of arguably needed to be because you need to set up all these characters and and how they come into play. Um, like specifically, like I'm thinking of like Ant Man's um, return and how long that takes for him to um, figure everything out. But um, but nevertheless, like I mean, I still think it it delivered on what it needed to deliver on and. Obviously, it was a it was a time travel piece. Like that was what it was. So, I'll say this: the fact that they now have shows that adapt into what's going on in the movie will help the MCU uh, extend its life. Mainly because it could cut out all that story by putting it in a show. So then, by the time you you produce the movie, the movie can kind of pick up from wherever the show was at. Um, so you don't need to focus so much on the story because you have more time to tell it. Um, rather than giving me another three-hour movie that I don't need. Anyway, all right, let's move <laughs> on. Uh, let's talk. Um, let's talk Watchmen. Watchmen had seemingly what will be probably its final trailer. Um, I again, Joel keeps telling me I'm, I might be mistaken. I thought when we first talked Watchmen, Nick, I thought it had a release date of August. It now says it's coming out in October. I don't know if it was pushed back. I didn't hear anything about it being pushed back. Maybe I wanted it in August. I, I don't know, but I thought it said it was coming out in August. Seemingly, I was wrong. But this trailer, amazing. I remember telling Joel after I saw it, there was nothing San Diego Comic-Con could offer me that would have been better than what that Watchmen trailer did. Figures Kevin Feige said, hold my beer, and completely blew my, my, my mind. So should have expected that. But this trailer was awesome. Huge shouts out to Kanan, who um, – broke the news of who um, Dr. Manhattan could be uh, played by in Yahya uh, Abdul-Mateen. Um, no other trades ran with this story. Uh, Kanan uh, got the exclusive from this. So if that does turn out to be exactly who Yahya is portraying, you guys know who you heard it from first. Um, but this show was very well done. You got a little bit deeper into Regina. You got a little bit deeper into... Um, all the characters that are set up. Silk Spectre uh, is in this show. We got a confirmed casting. I do not have it in front of me. Um, but seemingly, obviously, they're all older. So it'll be really interesting to see all the other characters that we saw introduced in the movie older in this show. But the steal of it was the end. You saw Dr. Manhattan lean down, pick up the mask. And this show is going to blow my brain. Huge congrats to HBO for finding something to um, to be your next big thing after Game of Thrones, and that will indeed be The Watchmen. Um, Nick, I'll start with you again. Um, your thoughts on seemingly the final Watchmen trailer? 
Yeah. <laughs> like, after you talked it out for so much, I'm just like, eh. I wasn't that big of a fan of the first one either, though. Like, I, I think because I genuinely, like, l- like, love, like, the Watchmen movie, um, that I was just expecting, not, not even saying like pointing out like any particular part of either either one of the trailers that I I was just like, well they could have done this, they could have done that. It, it just did not make me feel um, like the hype that I expected to feel. So like I am still very intrigued. I'm going to watch it, obviously, um, but. Like, neither one of these trailers really gave me that, like, swell of, like, anticipation that I expected from them. Um, And in that sense, uh, you know, I'm just like, okay, um, yeah, uh, I guess, um, you know, I mean, I'm definitely going to watch it. So, I I mean, I just hope it blows me away when I watch it. Um, But none of this – I'm more excited for the concept. Uh, than I am from what I've actually seen from the trailers, if that makes sense. Fair enough. I mean, look, it, it, it's not necessarily – what blows me away, I can 100% understand, uh, does not necessarily blow other people away. Um, I just love the world of Watchmen. I love that it's, it's the continuity is there. Um, so it's not now you having to tell the same story over again. You're just telling sure. the continuation of the story. I will always be a fan of that. Reboots to me just get tiring because it's like I saw it. Sure, you could do it in a new way, but it's a story I already know. So you're not changing the story. You're just changing elements of it. Um, so to me, it's like continuations just usually are better for me personally. Um, I agree. And the idea, the idea of Dr. Manhattan being on Mars since the events of the first movie um, and then seemingly looking to come back and maybe try to find a way to fit in uh, to society. I did have this conversation with Joel um, that I thought was interesting. The one thing that will be interesting is um, we do know Dr. Manhattan was white, like he was white. So this isn't a um, new telling of Dr. Manhattan. This isn't a new, per- a new version of him. It's the same guy. So it'll be interesting to see if he has the ability, because I'm not that familiar in Dr. Manhattan as far as the comics, um, but if he has the ability to change his skin color and, like, his whole uh, – his facial structure and everything, it'll be interesting to see if that's the case. Um, like, maybe his character, excuse me, uh, wants to fit in, um, tries to, you know, fit into what he thinks is, is the look finds Yaya's character, kind of mimics himself after it. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that's the route they go, because um, we haven't heard anything about Billy Crudup, who uh, who initially played um, Dr. Manhattan, coming back to rep- reprise his role. So it'll be interesting to see how much of Dr. Manhattan we actually do see. Um, but yeah, no, Dr. Manhattan had me hyped for this show. Um, and Nick, you know how much of a fan of Rorschach I am. Um, mm-hmm. So anytime you tell me I'm getting a fan base of his, I might uh, stem off into one person trying to recreate what he did. I'm all game for it. Um, this world just seems like it's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully it is. Hopefully, uh, when it comes out, Nick, it it draws you in more. 
Um, and you I actually think it will enjoy. I hope so. Yeah, I, really I mean, do. I I totally expect it to. I just um, I feel like the seeds that they're planting are interesting, but haven't grabbed me. But when I like sit down and watch the first episode, it will um, sort of envelop um, everything that I want it to be. So I I mean I I still have that optimism. I just haven't gotten that feeling from these two trailers. All right. Well, as long as you, as long as the optimism is still there, um, like as long as you're not saying the two trailers made you lose interest, then I'm completely fine. I'm completely yeah. fine. Um, Tia, your thoughts of what could be potentially the last trailer of um, Watchmen? Um, I feel like I agree a lot with what Nick was saying. I don't know what it is about these trailers that aren't selling me exactly. I want to watch the show. It does look good, but I feel like it. the trailers are being set up to a way that it should, it should draw me in more than it actually is. I, don't, I really am not sure why necessarily I'm not getting that, like, flutter in my heart or something where I'm just so excited to actually watch it and I can't wait for it to come out. I'm not getting that with this. And honestly, I really couldn't pinpoint it for you. But I'll definitely check it out once it comes out just because I'm running out of shows right now and I would like to see what a Watchmen series actually does and how it grows on the movie that we've seen and pretty much just kind of um, bringing in a new fandom for Watchmen because I feel like the movie is kind of underrated in many uh, respects. So I, I guess that's just how I feel about it. I'm going to mirror a lot of what Nick was saying, um, but still, I'm going to watch it when it comes out. So And Regina King is absolutely fabulous in anything she's in, so I am interested to see her character. Absolutely, yeah, and Oh, One thing real quick, Juwan. Mm-hmm. Don't ever talk about this show being in the same fucking breath as Game of Thrones. Like you're crazy. No, I didn't say it was it was it was gonna be better. I was just saying they were looking no, for no, the no, next I'm not big thing. You said it was gonna be better. You said it was and gonna be like the be. successor as HBO's next big show. I think this will be more in the Westworld uh, vibe, See? if you will. See every every the talk coming out of um, when they initially announced it was for this to be the successor of Game of Thrones was for yeah this and they're to be fucking the stupid that's not gonna happen it could be it very well could it, be no. it should Watch, be what it's not gonna, that is not gonna Watchmen happen Watchmen has a very large cult following um, and if cool. it's anything like the world the movie set up. It very well could could hit its niche to where it could be uh, something pretty big for them. That's what yeah, I think is cool. big for them also. You said cool following, and that's the key. Like, I mean, you need a broader base than that. I don't, I don't think which you're going to achieve that. Sh- with- I think the show could help on that because to me, if you didn't want to sit through, Watchmen was pretty uh, pretty long. So if you didn't want to sit through that. I think a show could kind of get you a little bit more comfortable in the idea of really because like, once like, you watch the show, it's gonna be way longer for you to sit through. I don't see it. I I think the next Game of Thrones for HBO is gonna be whatever they do with the Game of Thrones spinoff. 
See, I think that's harder to do because the last season left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. So you have a high – Which is why – working upwards. Yeah, but that's that's also why a lot of people are going to be excited for it because of that. Like, like, oh, man, that last season sucks. Finally we get, like, some legit, like, fucking George R. R. Martin, Game of Thrones-style stuff back. And, like, if they – if they hit it in like even just the first episode or the first couple or the first season, like people are just going to be flooding back to like watch it again. We'll see. I definitely, I definitely do know that HBO wants Watchmen to be their next big thing. Um, so I mean, well, they want we'll anything see. to be their next big thing. Not really. If you ever see the marketing behind Westworld, no, no, no. We'll see. What <laughs> I don't do think the marketing Watchmen. for this is that much bigger than what they did for Westworld. Well, we're not close to when it comes out yet. I mean, I, I, I think the trailers have been fine, but once they start to get into heavy, um, that, that heavy media push of Watchmen, we'll see. We'll, we'll definitely see because if that's weak, then Fair it's enough. like, yeah, clearly they, they aren't that interested in, in Watchmen. Uh, based off of that, so we'll see. Um, but all right, let, let's move on. Um, Netflix gave us, uh, we actually had Sherry at this panel for um, The Witcher. We got a lot of photos of Henry and that entire panel. First look at the logo, the first official trailer. Um, this is funny, seeing this trailer, because I didn't read the book. I didn't play the first two games. I've only played Witcher 3. Um and that's what got me hyped for this show. Um, so it'll be interesting to see because the first two games were eh, not really reviewed the highest. Um, so I think if they were smart because the third game was such a huge hit, um, they should kind of cater it more towards what the third game is doing. Uh, he does look older, uh, a, a bit older in this trailer. Hopefully he kind of gets that gray as we go. Uh, it looks great. It visually looks great. What worries me is that the scenes in the trailer, uh, and I know this is going to sound stupid, so Nick, tell me how stupid I sound after I say it. The trailers seem like they hit really quickly. Like, there was a lot they were trying to just, like, get past really quickly. The shots that lasted the longest, obviously, were the ones with Henry in them. Um, I, I still can't grasp yet what the story is is supposed to be. Um, but I thought Henry looked great. I thought he looked great as I can't pronounce the actual character's name, um, but I thought he looked amazing. So it'll be interesting to see if they use powers in it because that's what was in the third game. Um, it looked good. I do get a little nervous about it. One, because Netflix is uh, um, like their record of shows recently has not been that great. Um, but I'm optimistic about this because I'm a huge fan of Henry, and I want this to be a success so he can kind of go like Warner Brothers, look, doing it without you, man. Like, come on, bring me back a Superman. Like, stop being an idiot. Um, right. Yeah, this, this did look like it's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully it is that because if I'm entertained, that's good enough for me. Um, but, Nick, what were your thoughts on the first official trailer for The Witches? I don't think you're crazy. Um, I do think it was like a lot of like boom, 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 boom shots, like like a, a little too much cutting and and, and um, displacement. Um, like it's just not my preferred style of of setup, if you will, um, for a trailer. 
Um, but <clears throat> that being said, I do think the story seems very interesting. I've never read the novels either. I've never played the games. So I'm I'm completely coming into this like 100% in the dark. Um, but it does look interesting. Um, the fact that they were able to um, essentially take Castlevania and and make that into a fucking amazing badass show, which I cannot ever speak highly enough about, um, gives me a lot of um, uh, uh, like positive. Uh, feedback as to how they can adapt um, these type of, um, I guess, video game properties or novel for, you know, obviously it's novel as well. Um, and I, I do kind of think they're going to start, you know, from the beginning, but from, from one thing I've heard is um, the character with the funny looking jaw. Um, I think her name is Yasmin. Um, she is like a hunchback uh, in in like her origin, um, but in the like novels and the in the, in the games, like you just learn of her her origin. Like um, later on, they don't like it's not something that is detailed um, throughout the early saga. Um, so, but it looks like they're actually going to delve into that and and deliver backstory for all of these various characters. Um, and that is intriguing to me that they're going to build on both the novel and the video games and not just adapt them um, um, as they were told, um, which is a lot of what Castlevania did as well, where they decided to start off with, I believe, um, the second or third game as far as their titular character um, and, and followed that storyline um, in, in lieu of going with the very first game because that, you know, that left them more room to adapt these various characters, um, whether it is um, the, the mage um, in, in Castlevania, I forget her name, um, or, you know, or Belmont or um, uh, uh, Dracula's son. Um, it, it, it set up, uh, you know the ability to, to delve into all these stories. It looks like that's kind of what they're doing in their adaptation of The Witcher, um, with having these various characters being set up and adapted. Um, this almost looks to me like if I had been, um, and and you know obviously we'll have to see how it pans out um, and what the reception is. But this, like the way that this felt and the way that I watched this trailer. This almost felt to me like a missed opportunity for HBO. Like this kind of feels like the kind of show that's Game of Thronesy that could get them, um, you know, get that buzz back, if you will. Um, and I, I kind of look at this as like Netflix's attempt to capture the Game of Thrones um, audience. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it because Game of Thrones has so many varying aspects to it, um, specifically the political aspects, which I don't know if this is going to have. It doesn't – nothing in this trailer indicated that it would to me, um, but it definitely has that fantasy aspect to it, um, and I'm very intrigued to see it. I think Cavill was badass. Um, I think the way it appears they're setting up these characters looks interesting, um, so I, I'm all for it. Um, I, I, I can't wait to see kind of what they do with it. Um, I, I think it's interesting too, like 
that they seem to be adapting um, uh, the like it, uh, you know him as a um, as as kind of a, a bounty hunter, if you will, um, as you know he, he he you know essentially gets paid to go fight monsters, um, and and that's like how his character starts, but they're setting up like a a very um, a, a, a very foreseeable trajectory where he gets caught up in something bigger than himself, um, which is always kind of a, a tried and true um, way of storytelling. Um, so the fact that they're setting that up makes a lot of sense to me. Um, that probably mirrors a lot of what's going on in the game. Um, and I don't know like what exactly is going on with dude's eyes at the end of that trailer, but it definitely reminded me of End of the Badlands. And I was like, oh, damn, like, what, like, what is he about to do to this fucking spider? Like, he's about to fucking, like, annihilate this spider. And I was just like, they, they, even that little aspect kind of got me super geeked. So, yeah, I really liked this trailer. I thought it was pretty fucking dope. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say, I think it's kind of telling. Um, let me not say telling. Um, I think a lot of these people um, are are either – it's either developed from Netflix. Um, I find it hard to believe, Nick, that this was shot and HBO didn't um, kind of take a look at it, uh, mainly because it has everything that you would want in something to be the successor to a show um, that seemingly had all the same aspects of, of what you got from the Witcher trailer. Um, I'd even say this might this has a chance to be trippier than what um, Game of Thrones kind of gave you. Uh, and it, it's the fan base of The Witcher is nowhere near the fan base of Game of Thrones fans that, that read the book. So to me, right. it's like the, the backlash, if you try to do something different, won't be as, as harsh because not many people know what The Witcher is. They're like, oh, Henry's a witch? What? No, I, I, what is that? So to me, it's right. like it's less rich. So if I was HBO, this would be the perfect thing, I would say. Even if it can't be the successor to, to uh, Game of Thrones, it still could be a hit. Um, right. And right now, that's all we want is just hits. Just give me more hits. Um, right. So, yeah, that, that is a little shocking um, that HBO wouldn't have given it a look at least. But, I mean, we don't know that for sure. But I think these properties are Netflix uh, was kind of seeking, uh, excuse me, putting together something like this and maybe had the creative heads that they got together and then kind of made this happen. That seems more likely than uh, they put it together, shipped it, and then HBO was like, no, thank you. That seems more likely. Right. Maybe. Um, well, and if they're successful at this, they are now the king of video game properties. So, like, that to me is, is very interesting as well. Yeah, and I think that might be telling for the future of video game movies. Maybe very possibly maybe video games should be uh, adapted into shows instead of movies. That way maybe. you can kind of break it down a lot better. Um, we'll see how Mortal Kombat is, does. Very true. But even if that is even if that is done well, if I'm Netflix, I'd be like, you know what? Since they're doing movies, how about in the same universe I spin off and, and do shows uh, that, that all kind of line up to where they're, where they're at in the movie. I think that'd be right. dope too, and I don't think it's it's a lose lose. I think it's a win win. Um, so I mean, I'd love more of that. Just take video games, adapt it into a show, and if the show's successful, 
take parts of that and then make it into a movie that all connects. I think it would be the sure. smartest thing to do. Um, seemingly, John Wick is about to do that with the Continental. So right. that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but, Tia, your thoughts on the first official trailer for The Witcher? Yeah, I think it looks really good. Definitely this seems like a show that if Game of Thrones left a void in your heart and you are looking to fill it, that The Witcher could potentially be that kind of series. Um, It is funny that HBO didn't try to pick this up. I'm not sure why that's the case, but uh, they're lost, I guess. Netflix uh, hopefully will be able to kind of win back some favor with The Witcher. Henry Cavill, to me, looks great in it. I, you know, have virtually no idea about the story. I've never played any of the video games or anything like that, but the show to me looks fantastic. I thought the costumes looked really good. I thought that all of that looked like it was in order. Nothing about it to me really looked uh, cheesy CGI or anything like that. So I'm really interested. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Has Henry Cavill ever really done like uh, like TV before or has he only strictly been movies? I think he's done a, a show, one show maybe that was about like uh, I, I completely wrong. I, I don't think he has done TV, but I don't think well, actors view view Netflix like television. I think it's like a movie just broken down in, into different parts because um, that's what it feels like. It doesn't ever feel like something I could watch on FX or USA. Like it feels different. So I think that's why a lot of bigger name actors are more willing to sign on to do shows like these for, for Netflix. Well, yeah, and I only say that because, like, everyone made a big deal with, say, Homecoming on Amazon Prime and how it was Julia Roberts' first time doing television. So mm-hmm. I just think that it's um, interesting seeing Henry Cavill in a series where he's not doing a movie, but... I don't know if you guys know this, but apparently Henry Cavill is a huge fan of this franchise, and he essentially um, championed for himself to play the role. And the woman behind uh, The Witcher said, you know, and this is back in like 2016, 2017, and she's like, Henry, we haven't even like begun anything with this yet. And she said, apparently they saw like 207 or 270 different actors for that role before she was like, you know what? I got to go back to Henry because he, this is it. This is who I want as the Witcher. So yeah, um, I'm excited for it. I think that it looks great. And it's certainly something that I'll be watching once it hits Netflix. Absolutely. I mean, look, you go with the name, you go with the name. You got Henry has the name and he's uh, a solid actor. So it's a win-win there. And um, apparently, and apparently, Henry said that he has worked out more and is like more bulkier or whatever than he was for Superman. So he is taking this very seriously. Yeah, that was his way of saying, "Suck it, Warner Brothers." Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. We got two more trailers. Let's kind of breeze through these so we can get to uh, some of our main topics. Um, we got new trailers for Westworld. Um, Tia, what, what were your thoughts on the new trailer for Westworld? 
Well, thank you, Juan, for that. I have said for a while that Westworld should be the HBO series that people kind of gravitate to as a replacement for Game of Thrones. I know Nick is sitting there like, what the hell, Tia? No. But um, <laughs> I, re- <laughs> I really enjoy the series. I love the whole, like, mind of all of it is so good. So the third trailer is so interesting to me because the first two seasons, I don't know if you've ever watched Westworld, Juwan, but it all essentially takes place on an island that's Western themed. And we really seem to be getting completely away from that in the third season. There are, you know, the hosts, the robots, aka hosts, are now in the real world and um, Dolores who she's the one who set all of that into place is now out there and seemingly just ready to cause havoc Um, and then you have Jeffrey Wright's character Bernard who states in the trailer that they need to essentially find a way to stop Dolores if she becomes too you know powerful and just all of that interests me I mean the fact that, like, say, Tessa Thompson is still in it, and for anyone, spoiler alert, I guess, who didn't watch the second season, um, Tessa, huh? Have you not watched the second season? I'm taking myself away for a second because I haven't watched the second season, so go ahead, but I'm just, I'm, I'm going to step away here. All right. I'm sorry about this, but I was just going to say that Tessa Thompson's uh, character is no longer Tessa Thompson's character. She's an extension of Dolores, so that's going to be interesting, essentially having both Evan Rachel Wood and Tessa Thompson play the same character simultaneously. Um, As I said before, it looks like they're no longer at the park, but we do get a scene with Sandy Newton's maze, who looks like she's fighting Nazis, so that has to be some sort of a park, which it's interesting. Was that always a park, or was that something that they did when they say revamp the island after, you know, taking it back after the host essentially took over the island after the events of season one? And just the fact it has this incredibly futuristic feel. Aaron Paul's character is such a mystery to me, and it really seems like they're focusing a lot on him. So we're obviously going to get a lot of him in this. Um, it seems like Ed Harris is returning, but I don't believe that Ben Barnes is returning. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, Gustav Skarsgård had a role in the second season, but I don't believe he's going to return either. I mean, I would hope maybe they're just keeping that as a little bit of a mystery. But there's a lot in this trailer that happened that, as um, a Westworld fan, I'm certainly intrigued. I love the second season, even though a lot of people apparently had a problem with, like, the pacing issues, but I didn't so much mind it. But the third one looks like they are completely revamping it instead of having it still that Western theme going on. So, yeah, I'm excited for Westworld season three. I hate that we have to wait till 2020 for it, but it is what it is. Um, I mean, just... Evan Rachel Wood looks amazing. Sandy Newton looks amazing. Tessa Thompson looks amazing. I mean, this is certainly uh, the season of these uh, strong female characters that I'm incredibly happy to see be, to see back on stage, on stage, well, on screen. I can't talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, 
Uh, I'm completely at it. I've never seen not one episode of Westworld. So, uh, Nick, you should watch uh, it. what are your thoughts on the newest trailer for Westworld? It made me want to go and finally watch season two. Like, I was like, holy shit, this looks fucking awesome. They Like, basically, I don't feel like I got really much spoiled in the trailer other than, like, who lives, you know, who I know lives and makes it through season two. Um, but... Um, season one was fucking amazing. I, it, it, season two has just kind of like been on my list of things to watch, and I just, I just, it, it's just constantly kind of been on the back burner um, for me. But like this, really kind of made me want to go watch it. They were very much set up um, this this um, storyline happening at the end of season one, um, and so like I'm just interested uh, mostly in, in getting caught up. Um, before season three comes out, so I can, you know, hit that um, in stride and, and be able to kind of, you know, know what's going on. Um, and my apologies for for like audibly being like, oh, oh, oh. I I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I thought I was on mute <laughs> and I wasn't. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I just I didn't want I didn't want to hear any spoilers for season two because well, um, that's what. That's why as soon as I heard you say that, I was like, wait, wait, before I say anything, let me ask him if he's even seen season two. But Nick, <laughs> yeah. as, as soon as you watch season two, let me know your thoughts because I personally loved it. Um, I have friends who enjoyed it but had a little bit – because you, you know from, like, the first season that the timeline yeah. is all kind of crazy. And, I mean, this isn't oh, yeah. so much a spoiler, but it's, like, pretty much on crack on the second season. And I didn't mind it, but – I had friends who did kind of mind it, so I'd like to know your opinion on that. And sure. by the way, as as far as like getting to see who lives and who dies in the season three trailer, as Tessa Thompson said at San Diego Comic Con, no one ever really dies on Westworld. <laughs> Word. All right, let's. Um, I want to jump around a little bit because I want to make sure we have time for um, some of our uh, um, major topics. So let's skip around really quickly. Um, Andy Serkis, Travis Knight, and Rupert Wyatt are uh, all have had um, or all will be having meetings. Sorry, with Sony about directing the Venom sequel. Um, I wanted to say this really quickly. Rupert Wyatt, Nick, um, I know this would stick out to you uh, definitely. Actually directed, remember the um, first Planet of the Apes with James Franco? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. he directed that. Um, yeah, he apparently We're directed gone. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I did not know that. I, for some reason, thought Matt Reeves did all of them. So it was interesting no, to know that no. he didn't. Um, but yeah, so that was actually one of, I think that was my favorite one out of all three of them. I love them all, but if I had to pick one, I would say that was definitely my favorite. So, uh, huge apologies, Rupert, for kind of dismissing you. Um, he also did Captain State and he did The Gambler. Captain State and The Gambler Ooh. both had, um, John Goodman in. Uh, so if you can find a way to get me John Goodman in a Venom movie, I'm with you, man. <laughs> uh, Hell yeah. So... So what I think I John Goodman in any movie. <laughs> in any movie. So I kind of want to, because we're kind of uh, strapped for time. So I want to ask sure. you this, Nick. Out of the three of them, because um, I think you've seen a movie from each of them. Uh, who would you Who would you like to see direct uh, this Venom sequel out of the three names? You know, 
I don't really have a preference, to be honest. Like, I, I think all three are qualified. All three are good candidates. Um, my biggest thing is just which one of those three can be um, on the same page with Tom Hardy to really deliver a really awesome fucking movie. Because the first one I thought was good. It wasn't great. Um, it obviously had very mixed reviews, um, particularly as it pertained to critics versus audience. Um, so I, I'm just I honestly looking forward to seeing this next one be something that's a little more broadly appreciated. Um, and, and whoever's going to line up with you know, kind of what Tom Hardy is feeling and what he wants to do um, with the sequel – um, that's m- what I would make my main focus as to who I'm going to target um, or, or not just target, but who I'm actually going to bring in as the director. Absolutely. And I want to say to all those crazy people who are like, Andy Serkis should do it because he's he's had, um, you know, practice doing motion capture and stuff. I would say that does not mean you you are the best person to direct a movie. Um, mainly because if Tom Hardy needed help with motion capture or whatever, I'm pretty sure he could just call Andy Serkis. He doesn't need to be the director for that to happen. Um, Travis Knight, to me, was an exciting name because of what he did with Bumblebee. Um, He made me love Transformers again. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, you could do Venom, right? Like, I mean, to me, you're, you're working with Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson, who are two of the best actors. Of, of our generation, so it shouldn't be that difficult to make a good movie with those two really good actors. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know who I – if I had to choose, I would say Rupert um, because of the amazing job I think he did with um, the first Planet of the Apes. Um, and I really didn't respect Franco as an actor till that movie. Um, so I think Rupert could do really good things with Tom and – um and Woody, but uh, Tia, out of three names, who would you pick to direct Venom 2? Ooh, I mean, who I would pick to direct, I'm not really sure. I mean, I certainly will say that I was intrigued by hearing Andy Serkis's name just because I wouldn't have ever thought of him in that, like, director capacity, but it might be interesting. Um, Travis Knight has done some great work, not only on the Bumblebee movies, but other uh, projects as well. So I really just would say that as long as they can give us a good movie and make it more, say, like, mainstream for public viewers, then I'm okay with whoever the studio thinks is the best um, the best choice there. Yeah, just I, I think all of us are on the same page. Just make a good good sequel. Um, that, that's pretty much all we're really asking for. The first one wasn't horrible, but it could have been 100% better. Um, all right, our next topic, uh, Matt Reeves, the Batman has found the cinematographer in, in Rogue One's Greg Frazier, I, I think. Yeah, Frazier, uh, who also worked on Zero Dark Thirty and is currently working on Dune. Uh, Nick, are you with me in the sense of I'm tired of hearing the steps of the Batman and would rather them start talking about who else is in the movie uh, as far <laughs> as the cast rather than anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel you there. I mean, we all want to know who's going to be in it, but I think this is a, um, 
a promising sign. The fact that he's the cinematographer on Dune, um, which is going to be like really visually stunning and be kind of, you know, a a huge sci-fi epic. um, That to me has a lot of promise in it that Denny Villeneuve trusted him to be the cinematographer on that movie, given what all of that would entail. Um, So that's what stands out to me the most with this is that, you know, if he has that kind of clout, then he's definitely going to um, be on on a top list of candidates uh, for anything. And the fact that they got him for uh, Matt Reeves' Batman movie is uh, very promising. Yeah, I mean, everything that's coming out of Dune sounds like it's going to be epic. So it's like anyone that could do Dune, uh, from how Dune looks like it's shaping out to be, it's like, add that to the Batman. Like, of course, sure. But I'm just at a point to where it's like, I keep hearing stuff outside of, uh, they started filming, and who these other characters are going to be playing, and it's irking me. Um, But Tia, what are your thoughts on... uh, the Batman finding its cinematographer. I mean, I'm with you, Joan. I just want to know who's in the actual movie. It's great to know that all <laughs> these like, great people are coming together to deliver on this film, which is important as well. We, I should not um, minimize their importance to the film because it is a group effort. It is not just those on the camera, but those behind the camera as well. I just would like to know who's playing some key characters in the Batman. Yeah, I don't think that's too much to ask for. I mean, I, I really don't. But cinematographers, huge chef out. You guys are amazing, but I, I want to know the cast. Like, if the cinematographer told me who the people were playing, I'd be more excited. Um, but anyway, <laughs> let's move on. We got a deleted scene from the upcoming uh, DVD release, or actual, um, I'm sorry, digital release. Uh, I believe that comes out this week of Avengers Endgame um, in a very sad send-off to Tony Stark. This should have been in a movie. Like, I could name you four scenes you should have removed to have this scene in that movie. Um, but, Nick, uh, how sad was it to see everyone pay their respects to Tony before paying their respects again at his funeral? Um, I agree with you. It should have been in the movie, and I think it's I definitely think it's funny that you're like, that movie was too fucking long, yet they should have had that scene in the fucking movie. Um, that is that is awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, I, I totally think it should have been in the movie. It was it was great. Like, I, like when I watched it, I kind of got teary-eyed just watching that, you know. And, like, uh, of course, with all the setup that, you know, they had delivered um, before that, um, obviously, I mean, it would have taken place – you know, right after um, Pepper um, is kind of saying her final goodbyes uh, shortly after Peter says his, um, I think it would have been very fitting um, just to have all of the Avengers, um, you know, come together to just pay their respects um, in, in, in like the immediate aftermath of the sacrifice that he made. Um, I, I thought it was great. I, I do think they made a mistake not putting it in the movie. Um not that, you know, you don't get that in the funeral scene. I guess is that's why they didn't put it in there. Um, but I definitely think it made a lot of sense um, as far as, you know, um, the, the the ultimate respect that, um, you know, the character who, who started this whole 
universe off absolutely deserves. And I love, too, that, that Hawkeye was the one who started it. Yeah, I will say the one thing that was a little uncomfortable of this scene was how, like, when the first person got on got on their knee, like, everyone was just like, do I have to do it, too? Like, should I get on my knee? And it was just like, yes. Like, he, he just risked his life to save everything. Get on your knee. Like, what, what are you waiting for? Well, like, and then you see Captain Marvel, like, should I, oh, yeah, let me let me do it, too. Like, everyone just get on your well, knee. Like, come on now. Yeah, what was – what was even kind of more interesting too was like um, if if you like um, catch like one of the final like cuts of that scene is Mantis being like, "What's going on here? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't understand this." Okay, I guess I need to take a knee. I don't know why we're doing this, but I'm going to do it. Um, and then of course, and then of course, like um, uh, uh, Gamora just kind of being like. Fuck this! Like I'm, like, I, I don't know what's going. On. Like fuck, I'm just, I'm gonna walk off. Um, so I, I, mean, I mean, I feel like maybe, maybe that's the reason they didn't include it because those little parts kind of undercut it. But, um, yeah. I, I didn't feel like it undercut it. I feel like that, the, like there were, there were parts that um made sense for those particular characters. Um, but the overall feeling, especially with the core Avengers, um, like. You know, and the people who actually knew Tony, um, it, it definitely kind of hit home even more so the impact beyond just Pepper, Spidey, and and Rhodey. Um, you know, it, it just hit that theme home even more to me. Yeah, and it's funny because Gamora is now a meme with her walking, hitting that walk off. I, I made the joke that it was very reminiscent of when like Scarlet Witch was like. You took everything from me. And Thanos was like, I don't even know who you are. Like, that was kind of what I felt like Gamora was saying, like, as she was walking off. I don't know who any of you people are. Like, this means nothing right. to me. Like, right. I- I'm going to leave. Yeah. Um, I- but I do think it was important to show that for us to see that Gamora just walked off. Rather than us just going, well, what happened after the battle? Like, did they, like, what happened? Like to me, a spaceship is not easy to come a- come across on Earth. How the hell did Gamora just disappear? Like, did she find a ship somewhere? Like, there wasn't an overabundance of ships for her to just take one and and, and fly off. Um, so there's still questions, regardless of if you didn't have it or you did have it. Um, but see, yeah, I'm sorry, me and Nick taking up all your talking time. Sorry, your thoughts on um on the deleted scene of everyone's goodbye to Tony. I'll keep this really brief. Um, for some reason, it gave me like like really big Lion King feels, like Circle of Life. Everyone would start kneeling or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> someone, it was it was sad, obviously, because it was right in the aftermath. But someone pointed out that it was probably either going to be this scene or the funeral scene, and I would have much rather had the funeral scene. The fact that that scene took the time to you know really just focus on everyone that Tony affected and touched and what really you know, has stemmed from uh, the Iron Man 1, the start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So um, I was fine. Like, you know, it was sad at first, and at first you had that initial, like, why wasn't this in the movie? But then uh, the more I thought about it, I was fine with it, especially since they did try and do that, like, comedic little thing with Mantis and, you know, Gamora walking away. I think that if it was in the theater, that maybe even, you know, some fans may have found it a little disrespectful. So I was completely fine 
more so when I was thinking about it with them excluding that scene and including a funeral and I will say we did get a rumor report. We obviously don't have time to break it down today, but we did get a rumor report that apparently um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, that movie, uh, that show, I'm sorry, the premise of that show uh, could possibly be that the government is not okay with Sam Wilson replacing Captain America. Um, so that could be one of the things that are a struggle in this. Um, Nick, really quickly, does that interest you at all, the idea of the government not wanting Sam to be uh, Captain America? Yeah, I mean, uh, mainly in a sense of why don't they want him to be Captain America? Um, Right. The the why to to, uh, that kind of question does definitely uh, have some intrigue to it. Right, and be careful because Racial undertones seemingly could come from that. So just be careful with that, Marvel. But uh, <laughs> right. I want to thank you, Nick, and I want to thank Tia, who got cut off, unfortunately. But I want to thank you both for joining me for another episode of Geek Vibes Live. Make sure you all stay tuned for Full Court Press, Monday Suck, Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Top 10 just had an episode that Tia filmed today. Stay tuned for that. Geeks Against the Grain will be back next week. Um, we do have an interview uh, this Tuesday with one of the actors of Krypton, so stay tuned for that. Also, we will see you guys same time, same place next week. Peace. Peace. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.